Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's going on, Archons? Welcome to Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. Uh, I am joined this week by my closest Keyforge friend who is absolutely beaming right now. We decided to actually have our cameras on when we're filming this, which we haven't done before. I know, so right? I can't stop smiling. <laughs> yeah, Sydney's just excited here that we can, it's like we're actually having a conversation. So maybe this is the new norm, who knows? How's it going, Sydney? Fantastic. You know, it's it's, it's upgraded from like having a phone call to like a Zoom call. It's great. Yeah, it is It is a it is a good vibe. I'm, I'm not disappointed that we're doing this. It was a happy accident, we'll say. <laughs> so um, today we... We're going to have a discussion. So I, I, we had a plan that got thrown out the window this morning <laughs> when we recorded because last night I had an epiphany of something I wanted to talk to Sydney about. And um, I think there's no other way than to just jump right on into this question. So the thought that I had that I wanted to propose to Sydney was uh, like based on myself listening to lots of content over the past couple of weeks since KFC has happened... Um, all the talk about winds of exchange uh, makes it seem like this could be the strongest set that has come out, especially in the top end of what can occur. And I'm wondering, could this be done by Ghost Galaxy to make the new era of Keyforge stronger than the past to like usher in this new regime and great era of Keyforge? And Sydney, I want to know what you think. I love that question. I think that, so the idea that like, this is just the coming onto the scene and like the Keyforge is back is is where I want Keyforge to be. And I do agree. I do think that this may in fact be the strongest set that has ever come out. I we, There's like very little like real world data as to like what it has and hasn't beaten outside of itself. But I, I don't know if this was like an intentional like, like, let's make this so much stronger so that all of the other sets are no longer like going to beat it in high level play. But I, I really like the premise of this question. So, so here's my next question is you just said you think this is the strongest set and let's acknowledge that there is no shadows, there's no untamed and there's no logos and there's no discs. Essentially the four houses that made up the powerhouse of the initial iteration of Keyforge. Let's think about that for a second. I know, but the Brobnar, like the Brobnar in and of itself, like, okay, so let's, let's also- Are you biased gonna... about this? Are you biased about Brobnar, <laughs> Sydney? I, I forgot. Did something happen with you and Brobnar? <laughs> so, so actually, like if I can propose that maybe this is one of the swingier sets, and this is just conjecture, because if you think about it, like a token is going to make or break a a deck. And in that way, there are four tokens per house that you have to rely on to, well, four token options per house that you have to rely on one of the 12 cards you're going to get as like the, the mainstay of your deck. And so if all of the rest of the house works well with that card, it's going to be great. And I think that that's where the power comes in. The actual base cards are fantastic, but if it doesn't work with your token, they it, it falls flat. So I think this actually has like the largest curve, like the biggest bell curve of how good they could be to how bad they could be. 
Hmm, that's that's pretty interesting. I mean, I've seen some crazy pictures appear on people doing some wacky stuff with tokens. And I mean, I haven't played this yet, so all my my thoughts are just conjecture at this point because I literally haven't played anything. I'm living vicariously through you and through hearing <laughs> Z's accounts of everything on our last show and then on Archon's Corner. And I'm just kind of like, wow, this seems really strong and really oppressive, but like not in a unfun way. Like, I think it's going to be really interesting. And like you said, swingy. And I think we're going to see a lot of rock, paper, scissors with this set. Like there's certain things that will counter other things in a very interesting way. And you could have a deck that just wins, 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 but there's going to be this one thing that comes that can come consistently. That's going to suddenly overtake that other idea. So I don't know. I find it, I find it really interesting. And Part of the question I, I have of this is, do you think this was done like literally because let's spend less time playing what was old and, or I guess the original, and let's focus on this new aspect. And there's, I think there's a couple layers to this. One, there's a new algorithm. That's first and foremost, like that's the greatest difference. Like we're using a different method of actually creating the decks so therefore whatever balances and things originally existed have been changed just by the fundamentals of having to start from the ground up again what do you think about that something you said earlier really struck a chord with me where we are missing houses from the original set and if you can remember back to world uh Worlds Collide, when uh, Dinos and Star Alliance like first came onto the scene and everybody was like, OP, like, mic drop, mm-hmm. these guys are you want. If you don't have these in your sealed deck, you're done. And mm-hmm. I think that not only did like Unfathomable not get its day in Dark Tidings, but there's also the Compacts of Equidon. So with these like Equidon being the fully new set and Unfathomable really getting its its push, those two are at the level, I would say, that like the Dinos and Star Alliance was in Worlds Collide. But then on top of that, you have the new Brobnar, obviously. So I feel yeah. like just the the houses that are new always bring with it a sense of power. And I guess Brobnar's coming back. So there being so much that they have to like, that they created for this set, you are right though, that they like, they had more influence over this set because they have a whole new house. So that that could have been something that they um, considered maybe with Equidon wanting to like bring it onto the scene as strongly as Dinos and um, Star Alliance came onto the scene. But I I can't imagine that all of the the thought process that went into the um, the the cards themselves were specifically to be like let's blow everything else out of the water. Mm. Okay. So that's, that's, I guess, a perfect segue to my next question, which is, and hopefully you can answer this, as a tester, did the strengths of the, sh- of the set that you've seen now in the wild, were you aware of it or did you not really have a clue that it would come together in the way that it did once you actually played in a tournament? I wish I could answer that as much as I want to, but I can say that I, I did get a wide variety of experiences with this set, and I did experience the, the some of the cool things it could do. And so I knew that it was it was definitely as versatile as um, the the sets before, and it was definitely seeing its heyday in, in the houses that hadn't had it before, like um, Unfathomable. But um, as as for like. What I've experienced since playing it out in the wild has already trumped 
the kinds of experiences I had as a play tester because I've been able to find combinations like the the different choices that you're able to make and the fact that even the like the control that Unfathomable has is choice based. It's it's letting people have a little bit of wiggle room, but it's also not like control the week where I'm I'm just going to play mine and, and you can't do anything and you're done. So I I do see that like there is a lot of there is a lot of aspects of this set that look so much more powerful individually that work even better together. Mm, okay. I honestly like I'm I'm very stoked to open some Brobnar Unfathomable. Like that's like I lo- I really enjoyed the flavor of Unfathomable in DT, but it was like it was too swingy. That's 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 the thing I think about Dark Times we can mm-hmm. all agree on. Like the set has potential, but it was so swingy with like it was like AOA. Like we always said it. It's kind of like AOA 2.0 where where there are some things that are really cool that you can get, but then other things that are just kind of like meh a lot of the times, which is unfortunate. But I still have a soft spot for DT and and I think we're gonna really going off topic here, we're gonna really see dark tidings emerge out of nowhere at certain tournaments just because it's never been able to be played in a tournament so we don't really know like the true power in that sense like within a more smaller i guess meta because it's always just on the online meta which can mean anything it's definitely never had its heyday like out in the wild which was kind of like aoa in a way (laughs) coming off of dark tidings that's a i think you you made a point that I don't know if you you meant to make, but like coming off of Dark Tidings without the Tide, all of the cards in Dark Tidings that rely on the Tide to be good are no longer there. And that's across all of the houses, not just Unfathomable, but all the houses that came from Dark Tidings. So bringing into this set all of the cards that didn't rely on the tide because there is no tide really does take away a restrictive mechanic. And I'm not saying that the tide was restrictive, but for but it dark was. tide, it, it, it was, <laughs> it definitely was, especially like once chains got high, it restricted you in multiple ways. Not only did you need to have the tide high for some great things to happen, but you also had to have, you probably had chains when you were getting the tide back from your opponent, especially when um, there were cards out there that like needed the tide to be good constantly. So mm-hmm. with those cards gone, all you have left are cards that either did absolutely nothing or did like crazy good things on their own and didn't need the tide to do the good thing because it, nothing mentions the tide. So I think that also helps like influence the the swinginess, swinginess of the set a little bit because there are no cards left in the middle. There are no cards that are good if the tide is good and and bad or normal if the tide is um, low left in this set. Okay, fair. No, I get that. That makes that makes sense totally. I mean, I I guess that is a good thing. And so, can you clarify this to me? And maybe other people didn't know. So the you know, there's the win con of chains. Mm-hmm. Is it refer to the amount of chains you have or you don't have that is works to your advantage to win? So that is a great question. I thought the wrong way most of the time I was sitting at KFC. It is the person with the least amount of chains, which to me is a teensy bit unintuitive because like if I had to fight through four chains and probably at that point more than that, like I'm down to that many chains, I should get credited for having like done more work with less cards, but it's having the chains 
having less chains is what is the like that level tiebreaker. So you could literally be holding a binding irons on your last turn and know that if I place binding irons, I could win next turn, basically. Yeah, if everything else is equal all the way down to that tiebreaker. Yeah, totally. Okay, but interesting. I- that that also makes dark tidings kind of become less competitive just because of that fact being well, out present, of set, I guess. making your yeah. opponent take chains actually makes it more competitive because if they have to take chains to take the tide and then you have cards to take the tide or you right. simply have the tide the whole time, then that it makes it more competitive out of set. That is very interesting. But so you I'm basically you, you need dark tidings with with tide movings or else you could get hosed in the end. Yeah, totally. I'm curious why you think that like Ghost Galaxy really wanted to to make this set the the best set like that they intentionally decided that this set has to beat all the other sets. Well, for a couple reasons. First first off being that I think making it the best set coming out of a period where there was nothing, there was uncertainty. So you come back and what you're experiencing in the new regime for the very first time is the best, most exciting Keyforge you've ever played. It just sets a precedent of excitement again to get everyone back into the game. And I think it's no secret that part of their mission was to pull new players in from other games that may have been lapsed players, for example. Because I know that is a term that we all learned about <laughs> throughout their different um, correspondence with the community, and so I'm just thinking if you come out the gate swinging with the best set that's ever come, um, people are going to be more excited. People are going to want to get more of it. Are going to want to play it more as a result, and that's going to only be a healthy progression for the game having a new start. So that's part of my thought process behind it. Um, I guess the other thought is, could they just be wanting to distance themselves from the original FFG version of the game by making it so that less? And I don't think that would be a primary reason why it was done, just to be clear. I think the first point I made is more, and I think this is a secondary benefit of that happening. Um, and, And even things like the alliance like creating alliance, like oh, yeah. is if you think about alliance using your old decks, okay, what about alliance with woe? Considering all the things that exist and the perfect combinations you could make, I don't see how that doesn't top some of the other stuff that's out there. And the sealed alliance was such a like a fantastic like teensy view into that because people the way that uh, rules as written currently, you don't need to take a token token creature that matches the three houses that you brought to the to the game so like of the six houses you have one token creature in each deck and you don't need to bring the house that generated that token creature you can have like an amberling from star alliance and like like three other houses what? The three other houses are not Star Alliance? Right, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it, it's it's kind of crazy. The combinations that um, uh, Winds of Exchange Alliance can make. Mm, interesting. That's really cool. Yeah, that is, that's the one thing. And then the other, the other aspect, if we're going to think about it, is it just, is this just a natural power creep is the other mm. question to ask. 
Is this just a natural way it's gone with a power creep? Or are we actually seeing this from a Worlds Collide perspective where like Saurian and Star Alliance came out and now it's like Unfathomable is getting its true test and same with Equidon being new. And so they're really powerful. And the next set, they're going to have to pull them back a bit because of like we saw with Mass Mutation. Because I feel like Worlds Collide to Mass Mutation was a very progressive move. Like it, it, it progressed where it was really strong and then they pulled them back um, one more so than the other, but they, they weren't like aggressively pulled back. So they were the worst, but they weren't the best anymore and at the the top of it. So do you think this could be a case of that as well? I do. I honestly think that the, like the trajectory of like, Saurians and Starlines right now is telling the fact that like everything else, like because so many um, of the houses are coming back onto the scene, if not like Equidon totally new, that like they wanted to to focus on those houses being awesome. And then like, not that they didn't want Dinos and Starlines to be awesome, but like it was a priority to be like, let's figure out the these houses and, and make like Brobnar not suck because that is what people are going to expect. But also mm-hmm. I think that like one of the things that you can see was really well thought out is like the the themes of these houses are pretty consistent. And I really like like the band members in Brobnar or like people are calling them the Power Rangers in Mars. Like these these cards mm-hmm. that go together actually come with a little bit of like Co- coherent, um, like, I don't know, consistency, just things that like work together really well. They're not only themed together, but like you can see that they work together on the board once you, if you can get them all out. And so I think that the, the way that all of these other houses may have taken priority shows that every time a new house enters the scene or comes back, like there are there are a lot of times when like from one set to the next set, not a lot changes at all. Like maybe one mm-hmm. new house and the same house, like the no ho- other houses like rotate out for new ones to rotate in. And so that way you don't have to give something a we're on the scene now kind of feel. Right. Okay. Interesting. And um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of stoked about the whole Brobnar thing in various ways because I've been really getting into some classic Coda Brobnar over the the hiatus times and so like I'm really happy that Brobnar is what it is this is what I think we were all hoping for in all our discussions and like as you mentioned I think it was something's really neat about this set and I don't know if this was intentionally done but like as you mentioned there's like the band and then there's the Mars Power Rangers like there is a degree of like chase collectability for that style of player like maybe you don't care about having competitive deck you just want to have all these neat decks with cool interactions that you can pull off like in 10 games if you can pull off the power rangers in their best way format and you lost all nine before but on that 10th you won like you're probably pretty stoked about that and i think like for myself i like that (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah i think it comes with some really cool like win cons that are like let's try and pull this off yeah, and that honestly, that'd be kind of a cool thing if there was like a. Um, I hope that everyone at Ghost Galaxy is listening right now. Uh, we need to create maybe a like sort of a challenge sheet, which is like in a tournament, can you pull off these things with a deck, like as a side? Keyforge bingo. Yeah, kind of like Keyforge bingo. If you can pull it off, and then in a tournament, like even, and I think it would be really fun thing to exist when you know you're like no longer on the winning side but you're still playing in the day like there's a side thing that you're trying to do i think that'd be kind of a neat thing. oh my god blake if they don't i will the next big tournament i go to i am like making a bingo board and passing it out at anyone who gets bingo <laughs> like 
I'll bring a prize or something. I don't know. I love that idea. <laughs> we'll, we'll get whatever it is. We'll, we'll just let Christian know, hey, this is happening. So wh- what are we doing <laughs> to support this? <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Oh my but gosh. I think it'd be a fun thing. Like in aside, like when you go into second ember or something like that, like you suddenly enter the bingo tournament at the same time, or even just it's called Keyforge Bingo and it's its own side event where you're playing, but <gasps> you're, you're playing not playing to, to try win. And get certain you things. do the most wacky things. Like, yeah, oh I think God. that'd be pretty fun. I love it. That's fantastic. That's just consider it done. Just you okay, like, but also cool. Christian, because I know like, obviously Christian is totally <laughs> listening to our podcast right now. Definitely. Um, For sure. But I <laughs> what had else a, would you be doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a random question for you on the topic of like the strongest set. I know that we've seen like so many crazy, incredible artifacts, like up until this point, especially like game changing ones. And I'm not just talking like Heart of the Forest, but like also mm-hmm. like Quixel and, and just like literally like there's so many. Dav, but, like there's so many. Yeah. Right. The artifact control in this set is not as high as previous sets. And so I think that's the one place that this set may in fact be not la- not completely lacking. Like obviously, like there are some cards here, but the the less having less of it in this set versus the other sets may be a way to like scale back the like what could be overpowered in this set. Yeah, so I I have heard this. This is, this is something I obviously don't know because I haven't really been looking too deep into everything. But that is very interesting because it's without a doubt, I think that most people playing will rank having artifact control high on a checklist. Mm-hmm. Of If you're bringing a deck to an Archon solo event, you are going to have artifact control. And with a lack of it, I mean... It does create a hole, but it it also seems like I don't know what artifact other than Quixelstone probably would shut down what it's going to do. Like I think most cases, from what I'm seeing oh. from Winds of Exchange, like you are kind of in a place where you're okay. And if I'm not mistaken, creating tokens surpasses the Quixelstone aspect, correct? Yes, because they are put into play in, and not, not being played. played. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can just create tokens and you literally overrun that anyways, but I mean, I, I just, I just think it's one of those things where it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's, it seems to me like it's going to be so strong that there are few artifacts that are going to really be a problem as a result. Mm -hmm. So I, I do notice, like maybe you've noticed as well as through the sets, I feel like if we go through all the stats, like Ember generation, uh, board control, expected Ember artifact control, efficiency, all those things, I feel like there's this constant rotation where one certain ones will go up really high and then other ones will go really low. Like we saw in Mass Mutation a lack of scaling Ember control. That was very much missed, but all the other things were quite strong. Then we go over to Dark Tidings and we saw um, board clears were not the same. Like they really became more difficult, but then all the other aspects were really high and and really strong. Um and then Worlds Collide was, I don't know, Worlds Collide was, is this basically well, like... I, Worlds Collide was when like big boards came onto the scene, but that mattered. Because I know AOA did yeah, have, like, true. could have a lot of creatures, but like when the Saurians were on your board and obviously Brobnar being not as strong to be able to deal with that, like you needed to deal with boards for the first time, even though Mass Mutation yeah. like blew that out of the water. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just interesting. I think that there's this rotation of like, a certain aspect of the game gets removed a little bit and i kind of like it too because it i feel like it creates 
a balance and also this, like I said, the rock, paper, scissors things between sets as a result of having this. So maybe that was a balancing aspect that happened. Like they, they decided, you know what, let's remove this a little bit because then it puts things so that these other sets are going to have an advantage over this because of all the other things. Like maybe that was the concession to mm-hmm. try and not make it seem totally OP over the other sets. Yeah. We'll, and one we'll of see. the things, one of the things that Z mentioned last week that like shouldn't have blown my mind, but totally did was that a good deck has a thing that it does. And a little like less heavy on the answers. Like obviously it has answers because it needs to be able to get to its own win con, but it does something that is like, so like it has a way to a third key and artifacts may or may not be a part of that. And so like, if it doesn't have artifact control, like he was saying that uh, Nova, his uh, opponent in the last game, didn't have any artifact control in her deck, but it was able to like do what it did. You just needed to stop it. Otherwise you were going to lose. So I think that like, although like the artifact control cards may be less pop or less common in this set there may be a way around that by just like some really strong win conditions that don't need to take care of the artifacts Mm, okay interesting i i see what you're saying yeah and that's that's the thing i think there's just other things that will happen that will ignore the artifacts i i wonder okay so here let's just continue on this tangent of discussion based on what we're saying um speaking in artifacts now do you think that um, people are putting too much emphasis on trying to plan to control artifacts in this game state instead of just focusing on what their deck wants to do and trying to move forward with that. Like, are people trying too hard to have all the stuff in the things to have answers when they should just focus on their own deck? I love that question. That is an absolute 100% yes. I absolutely think that's true. And that's coming from someone who I like in the, in the CODA days when like I found a deck with two TMTPs and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best deck ever. But like looking back at that deck now and especially other decks that had like really, really great answers to it, you don't want a deck that relies on having a lot of answers because that means you're behind or that means that Mm -hmm. you are being reactionary. And so like, if you have all of the board control in the world, but they like, you're playing against somebody that doesn't have a board or you have TMTP and they see your deck list and they only ever play to six, or maybe they play to six or seven because you have like one other steel card in your deck or something. So I think that answers, although like completely useful, aren't the best way to like, find a win condition to win. I know that um, some of the better decks that I had for Worlds Collide actually had a lot of key cost increase. And so that is an example of like an answer that's also a win con because of the things like Eddie raising a key cost and then playing um, steals or TMTPs or or, um, I had Cutthroat Research which steals if they have eight or more. So there are combinations of answers that can work towards a win con, but a lot of the time, something like Red Alert, if you get a lot of value out of Red Alert in your deck, they have a board and you don't have a board. Like it's taking a step back and looking at that state, it's really hard to think that like answers are the most important thing in a deck. Mm. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, Keyforge. <laughs> what a what a great game with all the honestly, I love the way that this game allows you to think. And I think there's honestly no 
wrong answer or right answer to this question. I, I do agree that I think sometimes people are overthinking their decks and putting themselves, like you said, in a bit of a a bind. It's like you should just know what your deck wants to do and not worry about anything else and then know what counters it, I guess, would be relevant so you can try and mitigate when that happens. But yeah, I, I like your answer that people are maybe overthinking what needs to go in a deck and just need to know what their deck does and play to win under those conditions. Because um, the truth is that any Keyforge deck can be beat by any by a particular deck, and you don't know what that is necessarily. It just you come on the most random deck from a set that you weren't even planning, and it could beat you. And it doesn't matter what you are going to do. So I, I think it's yeah. I th- I think that you can't overthink it. Just know what you want to do and go for the gold. It's kind of funny. It's it's alliance that really like brought this to the forefront recently because for the first time ever, you have to search out things to add and mix together. You're not like looking at a deck and like, how does this win? You are using like the the back end part of your construction brain that is like, what do I need to put together to make it work? And I think mm-hmm. when you're when you're that side forward, instead of what does this deck have that I can utilize? It's what do I need to put together? You're not thinking I need to put together answers. You're thinking like I need to put together a win con and then that will lead you to a place that wins a game. And that's why a lot of people were afraid of like um, Jenka at uh, KFC because they were like, oh, OTK, like people are just going to play till the first turn win. If you think about it, Jenka isn't an answer to anyone else's deck. And so Jenka isn't going to like find what you need to do to win and stop you. It does not care that you exist. It's a solitaire game. And then so what you're looking for is the best Jenka house, the best Mars house. Or, I mean, if you're crazy, you're looking for like Mavericks too. But you're looking for the best set of things that go together to win as fast as possible. And then sometimes if you're looking for a deck that has answers, you're looking for things that have more on the line of control rather than answers to your opponent being ahead. You want to stop them from being able to do what they want to do in the first place. So you want like to control the weeks and the restaurant guns to stop them from being able to call Mars when they want to basically. Exactly. Absolutely. And so I think it's, it's kind of cool. Like I'm, I'm still not totally on the Alliance train. I, I'm never going to be at like a construction fanatic. I love my, like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a purist key forger. I mm-hmm. really like just taking a deck and playing it. But I honestly think now that my view of how a Keyforge deck should work has changed because of Alliance, I've benefited from that now. Like I'm going to see decks right. differently and I'm going to look for the win con before I look for my answers. Interesting. So to go on that train of thought now, as we've been doing on this, this podcast so far today, <laughs> uh, does that mean like in Sealed, I don't know if you do this. Are you going to be, especially because it's sealed Alliance, are you going to do the standard, see all the stats you have? So see what the Ember control is, board control, expected Ember. Are you still going to go down that path? Are you going to look for cards that can win you the game and then go from there? So that's a fantastic question. I honestly think in, at least in Winds of Exchange, I'm going to look at the token first. And I'm going to see like, what line do I need to make this token win the game? And then like, even like before I look at answers or before I look at win con, like is my token going to help or hinder 
whatever I need to do to win the game. Because like, if I have a, a Brobnar, let's say Brobnar token, I'm f- then know that like, I'm first looking at my deck to see the benefits of fighting. Or if yeah. I have like um, a Star Alliance, oh, ooh, ooh, or Equidon. Like if I have one of those tokens, I want to see, because a, a lot of what Equidon does is um, equal trades or like non-equal trades, or you want to set up your board state to where you benefit more from the same thing happening on both sides. Like if you trade right. something with your opponent or you both get something, um, one of their... Um, Oh, where is it? One of their tokens uh, gives both sides in amber when you reap, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yeah, after reap, each player gains one is the diplomat. And so like the kinds of things where you are are giving something to both sides, if I know that I have an Equidon token, I want to be able to see that I can do that in my deck. And it's, it's definitely going to change how I look at sealed because answers only are only as good as the situations you put yourself in and so like if you get to a point where you're giving them a lot of ants giving them a lot of amber or giving them a lot of options then you want to then see if those are the answers you have in your deck Mm. interesting okay but okay that's that's how that's how winds of exchange has like kind of been warping my thinking i feel like i've become a better player since winds of exchange came out because it's it it's hasn't come newest, out though sydney oh well it, oh well that's true i'm sorry everybody who's listening who hasn't gotten their hands on it yet but thanks you're for gonna my fomo my daily dose of fomo from sydney Steele. <laughs> <laughs> well the, i'll make i'll make it up to you when you you beat me over and over again when um <laughs> when woe is finally on tco or something oh that's good do you have anything else you want to add to this discussion sydney so I back to your original premise. I, I do honestly think that Winds of Exchange is going to turn out to be some of the, the best and strongest decks that there is. And I think that whether it was on purpose or not by Ghost Galaxy, I think that makes Keyforge a better game. I think that being able to like go toe-to-toe with the meta that has been able to be extrapolated this long into like what is the best out there has it already been discovered is there even more to discover about the sets that have already come out i think winds of exchange is the the right it's a set that needs to come out right now like it's the right set for right now i like that i i would agree based on everything i've seen i think this is the where the way we need to be and i'm very excited to get my hands on it hopefully sooner than later (laughs) totally of course, we cannot end our show without our titular segment, and we call this one Help, help from, future, from self. future Self. Sydney, I have a Help from Future Self, which is coming from some ABR playing, and um, we are rolling into the final week of this season eight of ABR. And I have to say that I'm revisiting a deck which is considered my best deck, I would say, on paper. And during the hiatus, I usually was not playing my best decks for the most part. I was playing my upper echelon, but not the the creme de la creme, we'll say. And as I'm playing this, I'm realizing a couple things. The first is I've forgotten, like I know in my mind, like technically how it wants to play, but then when I'm going to play it, things aren't happening the way I want. And I think it's one of those things you just need to get the repetition and get back on track with it. But then there's another part of my brain that's like, from when I was playing it before, what other people were playing, is this deck no longer as relevant or as strong in comparison based on 
the majority of what people are playing, i.e. mass mutation. Because mass mutation, I think, is the bulk of what you're going to run into on TCO at this point. Mm-hmm. So that is that is just something I've started to wonder is, do decks over time change no matter how strong they are? And then it's also making me now think, because of our discussion, am I just forgetting its win condition and now playing the deck incorrectly to considering how my opponent plays? So <laughs> oh, that's, no. that's a whole new aspect that came into the discussion. So basically what I've learned is nothing. Okay, that's <laughs> that's that's what this, this is. I've learned nothing and that I just need to keep testing more with this deck. But I, it's more that when you revisit old decks, a lot has changed due to the fact that your mind has evolved in the game what you've come up against has changed and what you are going to come up against will always change as time goes on and new things come to light. So go and evaluate those decks and uh, play to be asking the questions rather than looking to provide answers. I think that's the other thing that I've learned today. Love it. Love it. So that's going to do it for this episode. Um, you can find us on our Discord. I think that is the place to reach out to us. And then as well, if you have any queries or things, you can also hit us up on our email, which is, Sydney? HFFS, uh, podcast at gmail.com. So yes, if you want to have a more lengthy, formal discussion and correspondence, uh, Sydney monitors the email. But our Discord, which you can join in our show notes there's a link there is always a great place to interact with everyone who's an hffs fan and uh it's the best way you can ping sydney and i if you want to reach out i think the most best and sydney if people want to reach out to you in other ways what's the best way tco so yeah tco and discord i am sc steel and be on the lookout for for keyforge bingo just people out there just know it's coming (laughs) All right. Um, And you can catch me on my YouTube, uh, Boulevard Blake. That's BLVD Blake. And then also on Discord, I'm Boulevard Blake, number sign 3840. Uh, That's going to do it for this week, folks. Uh, Until next time, stay forging. (laughs) 